0: Man, so glad you guys are here. If this is your first time with us, I just want to say this, special welcome. This is the first Sunday that we are moving to two services, and so you have joined the first ever 9 o'clock service at Veneration Church, so so glad that you're here. Last weekend, we had almost, I think it was 58 kids in kids' ministry, which was a lot of the reason we were going to two services, and so last weekend, I think, was the most kids we've ever had in kids' ministry so, we're just excited about what God is doing in this place, and we're so glad that you have joined us this morning. A couple things. Uh, we put one of these invites on every chair in the room. That is not to stay on the chair, that is to take with you and give to someone this week. Could be a coffee shop, could be McDonald's as you drive through, or it could be one of your best friends. It's there for the taking, we don't want to pick them up. The second thing is, is a couple uh, weeks ago, we launched our values as a church. If you're new with us, these are magnets uh, that just walk through our values. You can grab them on the table or on the info table on the way out. But just so glad that you guys are here. This morning, we are going to finish the first chapter in Galatians in a series that we are walking through entitled, Unshackled, just talking about how God really desires for us to live in the fullness, in the freedom of what he has come to offer. And so often we live in this sphere of trying to earn the love and the favor of God and thinking if we can do all these things to please him, that he will love us more, which Paul is saying and God is saying that is not the case that we would live within the freedom that God has given us. So God, I just pray this morning as we enter into your word that you would do just a miraculous thing in our works, God, that you would speak and do things that only you can do. God, that you would touch the hearts of each person in this room. God, I know for a fact that every person in this room walked in here carrying something, maybe a struggle, a pain, a joy, a victory. Um, Whatever it may be, God, I just pray that you would meet them in a real way. God, that you would touch them by the power of your spirit, and you would reveal yourself to them in a way that only you can. God, do a deep work in this place, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. December 11th, 2002, ABC premiered a show that was entitled Extreme Makeover. You may have watched it, Uh, maybe you haven't, but it was ordinary people who went through this process, whether it was plastic surgery or whether it was a new hairdo, makeup, everything. They basically took the, the person that came into the show and they completely made them over, made them over, uh, turned, What I don't even know the word I'm looking for. They did an extreme makeover on them and so that when they left the show, they saw their family and when their family or friends or whoever would see them, they looked at them with utter shock. They could not believe that the person that they were looking at was the, perp- the person that entered that show show. And when they came out, they were unrecognizable. A year later, they did the same thing and they aired a new show. It was the home edition. They would take a family who had gone through something very hard and just been through a series of pain and struggle and they would go into their home and they would completely redo it. And after they were done, the home was completely brand new and the same result other than when the family would walk in, they would look at their home and be like, I don't even recognize this. This can't be my home. Complete and utter shock. And what we're going to see this morning is that is what Paul went through himself, and that's what every Christian on the planet walks through. That when we have been transformed by the gospel, we go through an extreme makeover, and the people that are looking on at us should not be able to recognize the old you. That's the gospel. That God has taken you in your sin, in your struggle, in your doubt, and completely renews you and makes you an all-new person. And some of you may be thinking, praise God, I don't like the body I have. Uh, Sorry, that's not part of it. (laughs) It's not a physical makeover. One day it will be, but not today. But here's what Paul is saying, and here's what we're going to see is the people that saw Paul pre-conversion, did not recognize him post-conversion because he was a completely new man. A man that was staunchly persecuting the church like a bloodhound after Christians, pursuing them from city to city, arresting them, murdering them, bringing them to Jerusalem to shove them into jail and in chains was now the very same man that was not coming with handcuffs, but encouraging the church to live an unshackled life, completely and utterly transformed by the gospel. Galatians 1, starting in verse 11, says this, "'For I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ.'" For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And as I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, Paul says, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still an unknown person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ, and then he says this, They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. You want to talk about an extreme makeover, there's no greater extreme makeover on earth than that than a man who was hunting Christians and trying to kill them at all costs and hunting them down and pursuing them and locking them up. Now the church doesn't even recognize them because they're no longer hiding from Paul. They're actually drawn to Paul. And I don't know where you're at in this room this morning, but I want to preface this by saying this. The beauty of the gospel is this, that God does not hold your past against you. That if you will come to him and if you will believe upon him, he will make you completely new. He does not hold your old party life against you, the things that you don't want to share with anyone. He does not hold that against you. He, in his sovereign grace, completely transforms and gives you an extreme makeover so that your old crowd does not even recognize the new you. And if they do recognize, if they're like, oh yeah, this person, my buddy had an encounter with Jesus and now he's still hanging out with me and nothing's changed, there's nothing that's attractive to to them about the gospel. Nothing. Because that's not the gospel. When the gospel wrecks us in such a beautiful way, we have to be made new. That's what the gospel does. An extreme makeover. Verses 11 through 14. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, Yet my people so extremely zealous for what the traditions of my fathers. Here's what Paul's saying in a nutshell that there was nothing, absolutely nothing, in his religious background or his pre conversion life that could be that it could have prepared him in a way for a positive response to the gospel. Nothing. And he makes sure to tell his audience that he was not taught this gospel by any man. One of the amazing things about Paul is that Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. No man preached the gospel to Paul. Jesus himself preached the gospel to Paul. Can you imagine Can you imagine even in Paul's shoes, everything Paul has learned has come from someone teaching him something about Judaism and he poured his life into it. If he had a question, he would go and ask someone above him, hey, what's the deal with this part of the law? And someone would share it with him. Hey, what's the deal with Christians? And he would get a morphed view of what Christians were based upon the religious leaders of the day. And Paul is saying, I've been that route, but now Jesus himself intercepted me, not of my own doing, but of his goodness and grace and radically transformed my life. It was not attributed to any man, which is amazing, and it's really hard to wrap our mind around being face-to-face with King Jesus and having him be the deliverer of the gospel. See, this was completely opposite. In his early career and lifestyle, he was shaped by a confident attachment to the strictest traditions of the law and just keeping it. And he reminded the Galatians before he goes into this that he was the one who pursued them and tried to kill them. To brag about it? No. Because he wanted them to know that what had happened to him had utterly transformed his life, that his old life was gone and his new life had come. He had been through an extreme makeover. It's the same for every Christian walking the planet today. In this society, we've kind of merged and blended this Christian thing. Like, oh yeah, I go to church and I had an encounter with Jesus one time in fifth grade, but I don't really remember. It didn't do much for me. But then I'm trying to tell my friends about this king who has come, this Jesus who has delivered my life. And they're like, bro, you don't look any different than when you first professed him. Because you haven't been radically transformed by the gospel. When the gospel transforms, it Utterly changes everything. Listen to what Paul said in Acts twenty-two, three through five. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God, all of you are the, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way who were Christians to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, and as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to my brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. What Paul is saying is he was extremely zealous, he fought ruthlessly for the law, and now he's ruthlessly and zealously preaching against it. Can you imagine? It's like a whole different gospel. Paul is like, Previously, you have to stick to the law. You have to, and he thought he knew God, which is the scary part. Paul thought he was fighting for God, fighting for the things of the faith. But he was like, it's God and the law. It's God and keeping all the rules. It's God and you have to do all the things that the Old Testament tells you to do. And now he's polarly, oppositely switched. And he's like, actually, it's Jesus. And his audience had to have been shocked. Shocked. And utterly stunned, like, this can't be the same dude. This can't be the guy that was coming after me in handcuffs and hauling me to Jerusalem to kill me, and now he's saying everything that he once was proclaiming is not true? You want to talk about an extreme makeover? Only God can do that. And Paul is making sure we know as he sets up this letter that there was nothing in and of himself that drew him to the grace and the mercy of God. Nothing. It was only the goodness of God. In Acts 26.9, we see this, that Paul says, I myself was convinced I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth until he had an encounter on the road to Damascus. It's amazing what an encounter with Jesus will do. Sometimes I think we view Christianity as just this religious format that we go through and we miss the fact that Jesus wants a relationship with your heart. If we could grasp the fullness of the love of God, this unconditional love, undeserving, unmerited love, grace and mercy, it would utterly change everything because we would realize that we can't do anything to earn it, we just have to accept it. It's exactly what Paul went through. He was a fierce fighter for the law. He was zealous for it, and Jesus wrecked him on a road to Damascus and said, Hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against me? I know you thought you were fighting for the things of me, but the very fact that you're telling people it's Jesus is fine, but it's Jesus and, or it's Jesus is not God, or whatever it may be, he's saying, You've missed it. It's Jesus. It's me. I've come to reveal myself to you, to show you that it is only me. And see, Paul had shame and remorse from his past, which is why he is bringing this up, for in seeking to please God, he was actually striving against him. In aiming for the best, he actually had sunk to the worst. Isn't it amazing how God so tenderly reveals that to us? When we're walking from him, when we're far from him, And then he intercepts us in a way that only he can. He reminds us, hey, Luke, I know you thought you were trying to do these things for me, but beautifully and tenderly, I'm just trying to tell you, you missed it it's not about what you do for me it's not about going to church every third week or whatever it's not about doing all these things it's just would you be in relationship with me i have come and i've extended the fullness of my love and my grace and my mercy to you would you just turn from your old way allow me to bring you through an extreme makeover and live this new life that i have given you to live that's the gospel But so often in the church, we hear, well, we have to fix ourselves. We have to measure up. We have to get our lives together before God can do something with you. Paul didn't. Paul was on his way, on mission to go arrest Christians, murder them, kill them, bring them back to Jerusalem. And in a moment, Jesus intercepted and said, hey, Paul, guess what? That old life, I'm changing it right now. Paul didn't have his stuff together. Paul had nothing in his old life that would draw him and bring him to the gospel. It was only Jesus. And Jesus intercepts him and said, all right, Paul, now that I got your attention, now that in my sovereignty I have come and drawn you, I'm bringing you to myself, now we're moving forward. You can't fix yourself, Paul. I will fix you, and you will go. It's the same thing with us. You can't measure up. It leaves you shackled. It leaves you burdened. But when we really grasp the fullness of the gospel, it is utter freedom. And not freedom in a license to sin. Freedom in to live in the fullness of God, to dwell in him, to be the people that he has called us to be. Verse 15. So Paul basically says all this stuff. I was this. I was this awful person. I was the person that no Christian on the planet wanted to meet. And then he says this. But. I love three-letter words. Especially in Scripture. I love the three-letter but Word, because it means this was this, but now something completely new is coming. And he said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order why, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I was this man, but then I had an encounter with Jesus, the king of all kings. You know what I love about this is if we look at it, this is actually, Paul is hinting at this idea of the doctrine of election. It can't be denied. Paul did not pursue Jesus. Paul did not pursue God. He thought he was, but he was not. It is very clear that God intercepted Paul because he loved him because of his goodness and his grace. But I want you to hear this. The foundation of election is always grace. It makes beautiful God's pursuit of his people. I also want you to hear this. This is a very hot topic in Christianity. In fact, there are polar opposites. If I were to take this room and ask you your view, I would guess that some would be on maybe the staunch side of election, and some would be on the staunch side of choice, and some would be in the middle. I myself find myself in the middle because the Bible preaches both. How that works, I don't know. God does. One day, maybe I will ask him. But I want us to see this, that election is not a horrible thing, and Paul was a recipient a recipient of election yet he was the most evangelistic driven person in all of scripture put that together it doesn't make sense God literally right here says, hey, Paul, you had nothing to do with this. I met you on the road to Damascus. You were here, but I've called you to be here. So I'm going to do with you what I please because of my grace, because of my mercy, because I am a good and a loving God. So before we divide and say, well, God just hasn't saved me. He hasn't called me. I would say, want to bet God said he desires that none would perish and all would come to repentance. But you can also not be on the side of, I can just come to God on my own terms. Paul tried it. He was a leader of the law. He was a leader of knowing the things of God. He was a leader of it all. And he found out, eh, eh, eh doesn't work until God reveals himself. See, I don't know how it works, but I know it's very clear in Scripture that we cannot avoid it. God draws people to himself. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws. But God also desires that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. It's proof right here. It's all right here. And Paul is saying, man, I am the greatest recipient of the election and the grace of God, and it drives me to preach the gospel. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, hey, God, how about you elect or save who you have elect and then elect some more, which I say amen. I don't know who God is drawing, but I know one thing, that God is good and he pursues his people and he wants people to be drawn near to himself. But if you stand on the side of everything is choice, you actually strip out grace. Because then it has nothing to do with the grace of God. It just has you coming to God on your own merit whenever you decide to and say, okay, God, I guess it's my time, so now I will come. There is no grace in that. Grace is God giving us what we did not deserve, drawing us to himself, and he desires to do that to all people. I could spend another three sermons on this, but I'm not going to. All that to say is we can clearly see in here this doctrine of election, and it is both and. We are called by the grace and the mercy of God, and we are also commissioned to go and bring the gospel to everyone who will hear because man must respond to God's drawing, and we must bring it, but God first has to draw. I don't know how it works. If you do, please come and talk to me after, and we'll figure it out. Maybe, probably won't. (laughs) But God loves all people, and he pursues them, and he pursued Paul. See, Paul was a major proof of the grace of God in election. And like I said, he was one of the most committed evangelists of all time. It's amazing. <laughs> to which I say, if you're in this room and you have never professed Jesus, I want you to hear this. He is after your heart. There's a reason you're in this room. Did you know that in Christianity, there's no such thing as coincidence? I hate Coincidence. It's called providence it's called sovereignty it's called God has brought you into this room so if you're in this place and you're like well God hasn't chosen me I want to say want to bet you're in this room here in the gospel right now all you have to do is respond all you have to do is acknowledge that I like Paul was wandering a fierce persecutor of the church hated Christians you may be in this room and you hate Christians and you're just checking it out to which I say so glad you're here because in a moment, like, Paul, like Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus can meet you right here and reveal himself to you for the first time and say, hey, son or daughter of mine, I'm trying to draw you to myself. If you would just see that I am good, if you would just see that I love you and that I'm pursuing you, I promise you the world would utterly change before your eyes." Just acknowledge your old self. Say, Jesus, I can't do it. You have intercepted me. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to move on, but I'm also going to go through an extreme makeover because that old life is gone and the new life has come. Man, I got to get going. Way behind in my notes. Verse 16. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he said this. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I'm running out of time, but I do want to say this, that Paul wanted to make it very clear that once Jesus met him, he did not go to all the apostles, he did not go to all these people, because what the, what the religious leaders of the day are accusing him of is, well, Paul, how do we know that that gospel is true? Because you have been persecuting the church, and everything you learned previous in your life, you received from man. And now you're saying that you've switched ways, and now you're preaching this Jesus character. And how do we know that you didn't receive that from man? And Paul says, well, I'll tell you why. Because as soon as Jesus met me... I didn't go to any of the apostles, anyone that knew. I just went away so that God could speak to me so that I could hear from him and think, am I really this crazy? Because this is like polar opposite of everything that I have believed. He's affirming to everyone in this letter that he did not hear this gospel from any man, but from Jesus Christ himself. I love how he said he did not consult immediately with anyone. We can take something from this, by the way. In the church, there is this wave of the prophetic. Oh, I heard the voice of God, and he told me to say this. Oh, well, I heard, I had this in a dream last night. I have to go tell someone. (laughs) To which I just want to say, most of that is not prophetic. I'm just being honest. You know what? The Bible says it's easy to tell a false prophet. If someone tells you something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, it's a false prophet. It's It's not prophecy. But on a minor level than that, I've, there's a whole lot of things that God has placed upon my heart that I have yet to share with anyone. I don't consult with anyone immediately because why? Because time tests the voice of God. It's very easy in the church to spew these things. Oh, I had a word from the Lord for you. Was it a word from the Lord for, or was it just your own selfish thing saying, oh, this would make them feel good. So let me just say it. I think we as a church really need to understand this, that sometimes time is very important. And if God speaks to something to you and you think it's of God, just wait. Because if it's from God, it will not go away, I promise you. If it's from the enemy, it will. And there have been many people wounded and hurt from people telling someone they had a word from the Lord for them and it deeply wounded them because it was not from God. Paul wanted to make sure that everything he was about to preach, since it was polar opposite of what he was preaching, truly was from the God of heaven. And so he went away for three years, and he just marinated in it. So just a word of caution. Be slower to speak and quicker to listen. Let time reveal the voice of God, because it will. Don't go directly to man because all of a sudden something came up and said, hey, bro, can you believe God told me this? Hide it in your heart. And if it's from God, one day it will come out. But don't be quick to rush for the approval of man. I'm sure Paul could have been tempted, but he wasn't concerned with the approval of man as we saw last week. In fact, he said right here in verse 10, for now I'm seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Time is very important. Hide things in your heart that you think God has spoken to you and let him roll them out. You don't roll them out. Very important. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Interesting. That's the same place he was hauling Christians to, to jail them, to visit Peter. And he remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles. Here we go. Because he didn't consult with man except James, the Lord's brother, And then I love how Paul puts in here, just so you know, I'm writing before you that I did not lie. This is what actually happened. And then he said, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown person among the churches in Judea that are in Christ. All I want to say about this is Paul was not going to Peter to hear the gospel. Jesus had revealed the gospel to Paul. But I bet I could just see him. He wanted Peter's account. I mean, Paul was not an apostle. He did not walk with Jesus, yet he met this Jesus, and he's got to be thinking man, I got to talk to some eyewitnesses about this guy. Like, was this thing just crazy? Was it just a dream? Or is this real? Like, this king, this Jesus who has called me and radically transformed my life. So he was probably wanting to talk to Peter about his earthly ministry, Jesus' earthly ministry, maybe his miracles, maybe his teachings, maybe Jesus' death and resurrection. And I have to think that he was interested in learning as much as possible, hear this, regarding Peter's call, his confession of Christ at Caesarea Philippi, and most importantly this, his threefold denial and restoration of Jesus. Remember how Peter denied Jesus three times? I could just see Paul, and please don't quote me saying this was from the Bible because it's not. New. I, I'm not quoting Scripture. I'm imagining what Paul would do is say, man, I need to hear about this Jesus, Peter, that you knew, that you would deny him three times, and he would restore you through it all, and he would restore you and affirm you three times. This is the Jesus I want to know about because if he can do that to you, I want to make sure that he can do that to me, the staunchest persecutor and and anti-christian person on the entire planet is me paul and if he can restore you through your denials maybe this jesus too can restore me through mine to which i want to say this if you're in this room and you're thinking that you are too far gone and that your past is too brutal and that the things that you have done if i were to know them there's no way that jesus could forgive that it's a lie straight from the pit of hell Paul was the worst, and Jesus gently met him and restored him. That's the gospel. You know what the enemy wants you to believe? Is that your past defines you, that your past mistakes are what make your identity up. And that's what the devil wants. But Jesus is saying, no, Luke. You're not defined by your past. You're defined by your future. From the moment that you believed upon me to atone for your sins, that's who you are. And I can restore, and I can redeem, and I can make all things new. This is grace. This is grace. That you didn't deserve it but God in his love chose to redeem you if you would just believe. I can't get over that. I don't know if you guys ever come to a place where you just are alone and it just brings some emotion and it kind of brings you to tears of knowing your old life and that you didn't deserve to be redeemed, yet God chose to bring you out of that and make you new. If you haven't done that for a while, I would encourage you to just take some time and think. To reflect upon the beauty and the grace and the mercy of a loving God who pursued you and not just pursued you, restored you and redeemed you. Because it really brings up this beauty of who God is that we would remember him in his goodness and his grace. And finally, Paul says this. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And don't miss this little verse, because I think often we do. And they glorified God because of me. (laughs) I promise you this. The church was not glorifying God because of Paul when he was after them with handcuffs and with a spear or a, in his hand. I promise you this, the church was not glorifying God when Paul came and arrested them and shoved them in prison for the faith that they were professing. But now, because of an extreme makeover, because of what God had done in the life and the heart of Paul, Paul is saying, you know what's crazy about God? Is that even with them knowing my past, it magnified God even more so that it brought him more glory. That's what's crazy. Like, the darker the past, the greater the glory of God. I mean, how do we wrap our mind around that? Some people sometimes ask me, what's your testimony, Luke? I'm like, man, I really don't think I have, like, this powerful testimony because I never had these years of great wandering and and deep pain and darkness and all of this, and I can't relate with Paul in that. But then God has to remind me, hey, Luke, your, your testimony is yours, and it's powerful in itself because it proves what God will do if you'll give your life to Him. What He can save you from, what He can spare you from, the pain and the heartache. And if that's not your story, maybe your story is like Paul. And maybe this morning you're in this room and you're still like Paul, and you hate Christians and you hate the church or maybe before you got saved you hated the church and God radically transformed you and you lived your old life and you did all of that please hear this do not hide your testimony from those who are watching don't hide it we're to use it so why that it would bring God glory you know what brings God glory man can you believe him I knew him in high school. That ain't him anymore. (laughs) Can you believe that lady? She was like the harlot of the school, and now she's like, this isn't meshing. And God's saying, amen, for my glory, for my fame, because that's what I do. I don't hold the past against you. I bring you into what is new. Don't hide your testimony but also don't dwell on your testimony on all the old stuff. Sometimes I hear testimonies, man, my life was just, I was, a, I was addicted to meth and cocaine and I was way down this trail and I did all this and then God saved me and that's where it ends. How about a little less on the dark side and more on the life side and say, I was this, but let me tell you what God has done for me. And if he can do it for me, I promise you he can do it for you. That's the power of the gospel and that's the God that we serve that God's grace is sufficient for sinners. Did you know if it wasn't for sinners God would not have had to come. <laughs> I am so far from perfect and praise God for Jesus. I make mistakes every week. I probably say things that I didn't mean to say or whatever it may be. I'm human, I make mistakes. I say some things that I meant to say and some of you don't like, and that's fine too. But I'm I'm imperfect. But God is sufficient to call sinners out of where they are and bring them to the newness of life. Why? For the glory of God. See, Paul was very open with his testimony, not to brag about his past, but to boast upon his Savior. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. There's power in a testimony. Imagine the shock. Wait, Paul, that guy? Wait, wait, Paul, the destroyer of the church? Wait, the one who was fighting against us is now fighting for us, fighting for the church? The one that used to come at us with handcuffs is now preaching that we would live an unshackled life in Christ? What the heck is going on here? Glory be to God. So where are you this morning as I wrap up? Maybe you're saved and you're still trying to measure up. Maybe when you were growing up, you had to prove your worth or prove yourself to your dad, and now you're trying to do the same thing for God. Maybe you've never felt valued as a person, and now doing everything for God, hoping that if you do enough, he will value you enough to love you and call you home. Maybe you've been wounded by the church, so you're bailing on Jesus. Think of this. The disciples didn't bail on Jesus because of the sins of Judas. (laughs) They kept pursuing him because God never said, follow my people. He said, follow me. Maybe you're confused about your identity this morning because you have never found your identity in Christ. Or maybe you came in a staunch persecutor and a ridiculer of the church because that's all you've ever known. And you just don't know the king that you're ridiculing. I'm here to tell you this morning wherever you're at, God is pursuing you. He loves you and He's after you. If you run, He's running after you. If you turn your back on Him, He hasn't turned His back on you. Wherever you are, know this that there's hope, for there's no sin too great that He cannot forgive. There's no mistake too bad that he cannot redeem. There's no doubt too bold that he cannot restore. And there's no past too jacked up that he cannot heal. For God is greater than your sin. He's stronger than your doubt. He pursues you when you don't pursue him. He loves you when you reject him. He comes after you when you run from him. He is stronger than your weakness. He wants your heart just like he wanted Paul's. He's after you. He loves you, and he's pursuing you. This is grace. God giving us what we did not deserve, and he's just asking us to accept it. So here's the question as we wrap up. Not do you know him. Paul knew all about him. Paul knew all about this Jesus guy. In fact, he was persecuting and killing the church because of this Jesus guy. In the name of God. So the question really is not, do you know him? Because you can go to the church all your life and know him. You can know all about him. You can know that he hung on a cross. You can know as we're coming to Easter that he bled and died for your sins. You can know that he lived a sinless life. You can know everything the Bible says about him and not be in him. So here's the question. It's not, do you know him? It's, are you in him? Paul knew all about him, but he wasn't in him. He hadn't given his heart to this king of kings, this lord of lords. And that's the only thing that changes and that's the only thing that redeems. I don't know where you're at in this room. I don't know the struggles of your marriage. I don't know the pain that you're dealing with. I don't know any of it. I don't know the loss of a loved one. I don't know the things that maybe you're blaming on God. Maybe, maybe you've been saved for a very long time, and as we talked about last week, you're in this just this season of deserting him because you feel like you've been deserted. God, you're not healing me in my time. God, you haven't done these things. You haven't measured up to my end of the deal that I've set before you, so how can you be good? I know all these things. I know you can heal. I know you can restore. I know you can redeem, but I'm not seeing it in my life. Don't desert him. He's never deserted you. Pursue him. Wait on him. Trust him. It's not about knowing him him it's are you in him are you resting and abiding in jesus this morning it's all that matters sometimes we hear this gospel preached of you need to respond to jesus so that you don't go to hell well that is true but that's not the fullness of the gospel the fullness of the gospel is that god wants you to live the fullness of life right now He wants you to live in freedom right now. We don't live this whole life just so I don't have to go to hell. Well, hell is very real, and I don't even know how to explain it in a way that gives it justice. Other than this, you really don't want to be there, and it's as real as this gym floor. But God is saying, I didn't save you just to keep you from some place. I saved you so that you would be in me, so that you would rest in me, so that you would know my love, so that you would know my grace, so that you would know my mercy, so you would know the fullness of who I am. And for you not to respond is you missing out on the fullness and the beauty of life. He never promised that you would be healed in this life, but he did say that one day you would be. He never promised that your marriage would be restored, But he did promise that he was with you even in the pain and the struggle. He never promised that everything would be complete in this world, but he did promise that he is with you, that he is fighting for you, and that he wants your heart. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you came here just hoping to gain a little more knowledge about God, even if you've been saved for 40 years and that's the only reason you're here, I'm just telling you you've missed it. You shouldn't come here just to gain more knowledge. You should come here to enter into this intimate relationship with a king that loves you and pursues you with everything that he had, his one and only son. He's after your heart. See, Paul thought he knew God, and he never knew God. He thought he was fighting zealously for the faith and found out that he was actually fighting against the faith. He thought he had favor with God and found out he was running from him. He thought that keeping the law and doing all these things for God set him apart until God wrecked him and said, actually, it doesn't set you apart at all. What sets you apart is, have you been redeemed by my son, the king of kings? Not Paul, do you know him? Paul, are you in him? It's the difference. Twelve inches from your heart to your head can keep you from heaven, and it can keep you from a relationship with a loving and a relational and an intimate God. 12 inches, very small, very huge consequences. Do you know him in a way that you are in him, that you rest in him, that you abide in him? See, until Paul met Jesus, his life was in utter shambles. But then the grace and the love of God met him when he least expected it and utterly Changed his life. And when God changed his life, Paul could not look and say, Oh, yeah, I did all these things to earn it. No, God said, Hey, Paul, guess what? Magnified my grace. You didn't deserve it, and I gave it to you anyway. Now go and preach the gospel. It's the church. That's what we're called to do. That's why there's an invite in every chair. We are called to be administers of grace. We are called to be heralds of the greatest message the world has ever heard. Are we going to do it? Have we been radically transformed? Have we gone through an extreme makeover? If the band wants to come up. As we wrap up, I just want to say this. If he has redeemed you, people will not recognize you. I don't mean physically, (laughs) but I mean if the gospel has really gripped your heart, if God has really done things in your life like the gospel does, you will not look like your old self. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't say that you've been redeemed by the king and still live and wallow in your old life and your old sin and all of this. There's an extreme makeover that happens. The old has gone. The new has come. So if you have been redeemed or if you think you're saved and you're like, man, I just don't see any difference in my life for the last 30 years. I would really question, are you redeemed? Are you really saved? Because when Jesus intervenes, your life cannot look the same. It's just the nature of the gospel. Tyler was telling me the other day, there's some friends and stuff that literally say, I don't recognize you anymore. Like, that's not the Tyler I knew growing up, and I don't like it. What don't they like? They don't like that he's not living in his old ways, his old sin, his old life. They don't like that, but I promise you, they want what he has. They just don't acknowledge it. But praise God, because if Tyler looked the same way he did in high school, he would not have been redeemed. The gospel redeems, for it's the power to save. So here's the question. If you reflect upon your life, I want you to think of this one question as we close. If your old friends and family and whoever, when you get together, do they notice a difference from when you were outside of Christ to when you were in him? I understand there's a process here. It's called sanctification. I understand it's not, oh, well, I was this person, and now I instantly flip, and now I'm this perfect angel singing hallelujah. But are you moving closer to Jesus? Are you reflecting more his image the more you grow? Are you on this process of looking a little bit less like sin and a little bit more like Jesus? If you are, you have been redeemed. It's impossible to not have been But if you profess that you're redeemed and the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you stay over here and the more you still kind of look like all of that old sin, you may not be redeemed. Because when Jesus intervenes, there's an extreme makeover. See, it's a result of grace. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. God just gave it. That's the gospel. We're about to take communion together, and these should be under all of your chairs if you want to grab them, and really, communion is this beautiful symbol of relating with Christ in his death, but also being raised to the newness of life. As we eat the bread, we think about his body being broken to pluck us out of sin and give us the newness of life. As we drink the juice, we think of his blood being spilled on our behalf to give us an extreme makeover. If you're not in Christ this morning, the Bible is very clear this is not for you. But that can change in a moment. You can just say, Jesus, I need you more than ever. I don't even have it figured out, but would you just do in me what you did in Paul? Would you just take me from my old life, and I trust in you. I believe in you. I believe that you're my Savior and my Lord. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you, and I want to look more like Jesus. I don't want to look more like my sin. Come to him, and he'll redeem you in a moment, and then this is for you. This is what Matthew 26, 26 through 29 says. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which has been poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink of it. When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, this is what this is. We remember what Jesus has done to set us free. So before we take it, I want to take 30 seconds in your chair, and I just want you to reflect upon what Jesus has done for you in your life, this extreme makeover that has happened. And if he hasn't done that yet, say, Jesus, this is the day. I want that extreme makeover. I don't want to look like my old self. I want to look like you. I'm coming to you, and I'm giving you my heart. God, as we eat this bread, we just remember what you have done for us, that you have broken your body on our behalf. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. And you did not deserve it, God. But you earned it. You earned our life by giving yours to us. So, God, as we take this bread, would we just remember the sacrifice you made on our behalf to set us free? Take the bread. And God, as we drink of this juice, we just remember your blood that was spilled on our behalf, God, that you paid the penalty for our sin, that we did not have to pay it, God, because we could not pay it. God, that you came to do the thing that we deserved so that we would not be separated from you forever because you are a loving and a gracious God. Thank you for pursuing us, God, as we drink this juice, would we remember the blood that was spilled on our behalf? God, we thank you for what you are doing in this place. I pray with everything in me, God, that we would be a people that are deeply transformed by the power of the gospel. That we would leave here different than we entered, God. And for a person in here that maybe is just looking and trying to figure out Christianity, God, I just pray by the power of your spirit in things, ways that only you can, God, that you would reveal your goodness to them that you would reveal that they cannot earn it, they cannot measure up, they can just accept it and come to you on your terms and not theirs, and you will redeem them in a moment and give them an extreme makeover. And for us in this church, God, that are saved, would we be a people that look a whole lot less like our sin and a whole lot more like Jesus the more we walk with you? God, that is the reason you came, to give us life and life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.